professional and you stay sitting down, that doesn't make me look good. So, all right, a couple more things. We sometimes we get so busy we forget to. We can't add everything on the on the um, announcement video. Number one on March 15th is a baptism. We we'll have a water baptism on March 15th. Uh, we'll have it right here in service. We dunk you right here, and you get the glory of God all over you. You need to sign up in the in the life center back there. And on March 22nd, we'll have a baby dedication. If you have a baby or a child that you have never dedicated to the Lord, we want to do that. And so sign up for that and in the Life Center, and we'll help you out. Um, Rebecca, you can come up here this morning. And uh, so we're, we're, um, we're starting, we're starting a, a, a new Celebrate Recovery program, and this time we're, we believe we're going to do it right, and we've got the right people to help lead that. And so it actually it's every Sunday. It starts tonight from 6 to 8. Is that right? And um, so anyway, wanted you just to, to meet Re- Rebecca real quick, and she's one of the ones that's heading it up. So uh, you want to talk real quick? Yeah. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Um, so we're starting tonight because I know that I have hurts. I've been hurt in my life. I know that I have hangups, and I have habits. Uh, you can ask my husband. He can definitely say yes. But I tell you, through walking through a 12-step program, and I'm not a drug addict. Uh, I started Celebrate Recovery seven months ago because I didn't want to live. And, you know, people think that because I sing on the stage, I don't have any problems. I have problems, too. I've been hurt. And I have definitely hurt people, too. But through walking through these 12 steps, um, God has just done an amazing work. He's used this church. He's used other people in my life. So I invite you, if you want to know more, show up tonight at 6 a.m. I'm 6 p.m. <laughs> Upstairs, we're going to be upstairs, but I'll definitely meet you at the door. Thank you very much. So it's, it's, it's every week. Thank you so much. It's every week. So if you want, it's just, again, hurts, hangups, habits. If you're going through grief and you need help, you just need someone to talk to, this is a good group. This is a good group for you. And so anyway, welcome this morning to Family Life. I see some visitors out there. We're so glad you're here if you're a first-time visitor. Uh, you know, we have something for you in the Life Center right out there. You can get a free copy of my book if you want it. And uh, they'll give you a card and you can go up there and get some free coffee and donuts or whatever after, after service. Uh, so we're in a series called Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals. And the purpose of this series is to discover uh, God's design for our relationships uh, to dig into God's Word and learn new insights, principles, lessons that can help us improve our relationship. And, of course, Tracy's helping me this morning. Do you want to say something before we get started here? Good morning. <laughs> it only took him 20 years to get me up here with him. But now that I'm here, I'm going to tell you all the things he doesn't want you to know. <laughs> no, but um, it's an honor to be up here, so... Here we go. Yeah, so the, the bottom line is this, is that I want you, this is a true statement. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not, it's true. The quality of your life will be determined by the quality of your relationships. That's just the bottom line. If Tracy and I are struggling in our marriage, our life is not near as good as God wants it to be. If you're having trouble with your kids, if you're having trouble with relationships at work, it just impacts your marriage. And number one, if your relationship is not right with God, it's going to hurt your life, your whole life. 
You can't be, I can't be the husband I want to be to Tracy or the father to my kids if I'm not right with the father. That's just the bottom line. So relationships are, are, are a big deal. If we can improve our relationships, we can improve our life. So no matter where your life is right now, if today you can improve your relationships, even if, if on a scale from 1 to 10 and you're at a 5, if you can bump it up to a 6 or a 7, it makes a tremendous difference in your life. So I was thinking about this this week. Every counseling session that I have ever had as a pastor now for 24 years, everyone 100% had to do with relationships. 100%. I've never had anyone come in with a problem other than a relationship. You say, well, people come in with, pro with financial problems, money problems, that's a relationship. Your relationship with money isn't good. Either you don't know how to keep it or you don't know how to stop spending it, but something's, you know, that's a relationship. Uh, so think about it, whether it's marriage, parenting, uh, if it's a spiritual relationship with God or, or whatever it is. So this morning we're going to look at relationships. And, of course, I've asked Tracy to help me. And, man, we had the EXO conference this weekend. Um, I had, we had a bunch of people come. It's a marathon, like Friday for two hours, Saturday for six hours. But they, I'm telling you, they were dealing truth for marriages. I've been married 30 years, and I learned something this weekend. And so uh, we'll do that again. And so here's, what, here's how I'm going to start. I'm going to start with a question this morning. And now if you're not married, you'll still get stuff out of this because relationships transfer over, okay? So think about this. All the married couples in here, is your marriage built for speed or distance? Think about that. Is your marriage built for speed or difference? How many of you have seen some seen a, a married couple and they look pretty and they look shiny and they look all perfect, but they had a wreck about a mile down the road and they are no longer married today. Uh, so anyway, think, think of, I want you to think about this. Um, think about your marriage in terms of an automobile. Some cars are fast, some are shiny, some are fancy, but they seem to be in the mechanic shop all the time. You know, although they, they look good to the eye, they don't perform well on the road. And so you say, yeah, I got one of those right now. My nephew, my nephew, well, my sister's son, a really good guy, and when, when he started driving, uh, he bought himself a 1970 Mustang, a muscle car. They, put a, they got a picture of it they're going to put up on there. This car is beautiful. But he bought it, and it didn't look good. And him and my, him and my brother-in-law, they spent hours working on that car, painting it, doing all this, and it's a beautiful car. And, uh, but the only problem is he, he never drives it because he can't afford the gas. Right? Hey, Will, take me for a ride. Yeah, I'm a little low on gas. So what that means is, hey, Uncle Terry, give me some cash. I'll be happy to take you for a spin. And then it always has little knickknacks going wrong. So it sits in the garage, and he drives my sister's Tahoe. Because it runs and gets better gas mileage. And, and so his parents say, sell the car. He's like, well, I can't. I love the car. They say, well, drive the car. Well, I can't do that either. So it just sits in, in their garage. And so, so think about this. Is your, is your marriage built for, for speed or is it built for distance? Uh, some get out of the gates really quick and they crash. Some marriages, some relationships, they have the right things in them and they're built to go the distance. Tracy and I were talking about this this week. In the last five years, my, my marriage counseling situations have totally changed, totally changed. 
Used to, Trace and I would meet with a couple, and they'd been married five years, 10 years, 20 years, and they got off course, and they just needed a little tweak. You know, they just literally needed a little encouragement, a little pat on the rear and get out there and go do it, you know, stick with it. Today, I, tell, I came home, today in the last year, I have met with two couples that have been married less than a year and have already, there's already been affairs in their marriage. I'm like, what in the heck is wrong with these kids? You didn't make it six months? Why'd you, I told them, I asked them, why'd you get married? Thought it was a good idea. I mean, they look beautiful. They look beautiful, but their relationship, it, it, had, it had no, no depth. So, uh, so anyway, we're going to talk about this a little bit, and Trace is going to help me out here. So in Genesis 2, um, in the beginning of Genesis, it's talking about creation. And God is a relational God. And when he was creating everything, he kept saying, it is good. It is good. But you notice when he got to Adam, he said, it is not good for, man to, for him to be alone. So let's read Genesis 2, 18 through 24. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And what I'd like you to notice um, in this, it's really important, is that it's not two halves forming a whole. As we learn in school, two, you have a half and a half, you have a whole. But in marriage, God takes two whole individuals and unites them into one. Um, so a little bit about Terry and I, for those of you that don't know. We have known each other since we were 12, so little bitty. And she can't get tired of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, I lived in Florida at the time, and his family moved um, to Florida from Texas. His dad became the pastor at our church. And yes, so, <laughs> but, um, so we got to know each other through church, through our youth group, and then we went to our Christian school together. So we were friends for a long time. We, hang out with this, we hung out with the same group of people. And in um, my senior year, which he was a junior because I'm two months older, but I was a grade ahead. So... <laughs> Married an older woman. <laughs> so anyway, my senior year, that November of 86, we started dating um, and then dated throughout the spring. And then he moved back to Texas in, um, that summer. So his dad, his whole family moved back. He finished his senior year in Texas and then went into the Army. So you can see for a long period there, we were apart. Um, and we talked to our kids about this because relationships with kids are so different today. They text all the time. They, you know, communicate all the time. It was so different because there were no cell phones. There was no internet, no email. Um, so when he went into the army, of course, I would just write 
these letters, just, you know, pouring out my heart, pages and pages, send him all these letters every week. He would get me, a, I'd get a paragraph in the mail from him. That's good, right, guys? That's good. Be thankful for the paragraph. And, and then um, he, he would call me. Terry, if you know Terry, he's very disciplined. And he would call me once a week on Sunday afternoon for 15 minutes because he had a calling card and that's how much of it he would allot to me because he was, you know, financially responsible. And I would beg him, please don't hang up. <laughs> but Sometimes she got an extra couple minutes. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, it, that, so that's kind of the beginning of our relationship. So then um, we got married in 1990. So almost 30 years. If you know anything about pastors, they round up. So he said we've been married 30 years. Not quite this summer. It's close. But um, yeah, so that's kind of the beginning and how we, how yeah. we ended up married. And she gives me so much grief for the 15-minute calls, you know. I mean, today you can call anyone all over, anywhere around the world, you know, on a cell phone. It's free. Man, I was making 700 bucks a month, you know. Yeah. So. And, <laughs> Anyway. But anyway, what, what, some of the things that attracted me to Terry, though, was just he was outgoing. He talked a lot, which is me as an introvert. That was like a plus. He could carry the conversation. I could just smile. Um, but he had a great sense of humor, and he was athletic, and, um, of course, he's handsome. And just... just <laughs> it's going to be a good afternoon. <laughs> but he was, he was just a great guy. Um, you know, Tracy, she is quiet, and I told her, she's like, you know, I said, listen, do not worry if you get up there and you get confused or don't know what to say. I said, don't worry, I can talk for hours. You know, don't even worry about it. So what, what attracted me to Tracy, I, you know, I thought, first of all, she, she, was, she was and is very kind and thoughtful, and she's low maintenance. I don't like drama. I do not like drama. Some of you like drama. One time I was speaking, like, how many of y'all like drama? And three people raised their hand. God, give them all they can handle. Just pour it on them, God. But I, but I think about this. So, you know, you're growing up and you see all the, you know, we're around the same group of people, 20, 30 girls, we, you know, and guys and all this kind of stuff. And some of them, it was always something. It was always something. Guys, if you have a wife and she's a lot of drama, I have learned to pray the drama demon out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, sometimes guys are drama. I'm going to flip the script on y'all, okay? So anyway, but, and, then, and then we had the same set of values. I, I'm shocked sometimes when people get married and they come see us and it's like, did y'all even talk before you got married? Like, y'all have totally different values and so I knew. Now, no one, no one is... Uh, a perfect carbon copy, if we were exactly the same, one of us is not necessary, okay? We have some differences, but on all the big things, we, we really agreed. And so we're, we want to share four or five principles this morning about how to go the distance. If you're built for speed, I can, I can show you in 20 minutes how to, how to change to be built for distance. You can make it. Your marriage can be successful. You can be till death do us part. And, and this, is, this is, is what's needed in every relationship. So the first thing is this. We decided to build our marriage on Jesus Christ. That's the very first thing. We decided that he would be our foundation. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27, it says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it fell with a great crash. You know, I have, over the last 20 years, I've talked with hundreds of couples facing dire, traumatic, relational, ending things in their marriage. And what I've noticed is that there's only so many types of storms that can hit a human being. I mean, financial storms, uh, you know, the death of a loved one, physical problems, fraud. I mean, there's only so many, there's only so many things in life that can hit me. So what I began to notice is all these people, all these couples are coming in, and you know what they always say? Their problems are worse. Their problems are worse. And uh, that's not true. When I read stories about certain people, I'm like, man, they're in worse shape than me. You know, and I would never like to go through that. But what I realized is the problem in their marriage and the problems that face your marriages, the problems or the storms are not the issue. The issue is the foundation you've built. So look at this. It said that, you know, one house was built on the sand, which is anything other than Christ. One was built on, on the rock of Jesus Christ, which is immovable. And the, the, the same elements hit both houses. There was wind, there was rain, there was flooding. One made it, one didn't. And what I've noticed in life is some people, if your foundation isn't right, when the storms of life hits you, you just fold like a lawn chair and move on. And you think that another person can help you. You think that a different relationship can help you, but they can't because your foundation's not right. It's all about the foundation. When the storm passes, and they always do, storms always pass. We live in a temporary world. We're headed for eternity. We live in a temporary world. The storm will always pass. Will your home still be standing when it passes? That's, that's the thing that we, we have to really discuffs. It's all about the foundation. Um, so some of the decisions that Terry and I made in our marriage to ensure that it was built on Christ. Um, the first one is we found a church to fit our needs so that we could grow spiritually and um, build good friendships. And when we first got married, um, Terry was working uh, Friday and Saturday nights. He went to school during the week and he would work all night as a security guard. And he would go to work at 7 p.m. and then get off around 6 or 7 the next morning. Well, you can imagine on Sunday mornings, he's tired. Um, but he would come home. He'd sleep for a couple of hours. And I'd have to wake him up, um, which wasn't that easy sometimes. But he, he always got up and because we had made a commitment that we were going to go to church together. And then not only go to church, but to be involved. And so we got involved with small groups and things like that so that we could grow together and then in our relationship with Christ. Um, another area is that we decided to put God first in our money and to tithe. We were making a whole $800 a month um, at that time, which wasn't a lot then. <laughs> it's not a lot now. But we had made that commitment to do that. And Terry had always tithed. I remember he would mail his checks to his mom when he was in the military so that she could um, deposit that, if it, um, give it to the church on Sundays. So it was just something we had decided together to do. And I'll never forget, we had been married a few months, and he's probably shared this before, um, but we, 
it was, the, I had a little Subaru that was, I don't know, 1970-something, and I bought it for $2,000, and I had like an $80 a month car payment. And so we, there was that month, and we're looking at it, and there wasn't money. It was either tithe or car payment. And so we made the choice, no, we're committed to this. So we tithed, and, um, you know, not knowing what were we going to do. And just amazingly, that, that week, the week after we tithe on Sunday, we got a check, an insurance rebate from my um, insurance in Florida, and it was exactly the amount we needed to pay the tithe. It was, we weren't expecting it. We didn't know it was coming. It just came. So, you know, I, I was thinking about that little Subaru, it was filled with the Holy Ghost, and it is in heaven. I'm telling you, that car was amazing. And, you know, if I, I actually called the car dealership, I actually called the bank and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to pay the note um, this month because um, she's like, well, you ha- you're having financial problems, you don't, you don't have, the-. I was like, oh, no, but we're going to tithe. She said, excuse me? I said, we're, but we'll catch up. And, and um, you know, anyway, it was, it was so funny. We had, we had two old cars, my, but my truck, but it had a heater and I had to drive 30 miles to, you know, to, to school. So I would take the Subaru because it, it, it got better gas mileage. But Tracy had had a little, a little fender bender in it, and the heater didn't work. And somehow it had, like, holes in that car, man. I would be going sometimes, like, 30 degrees or 25 degrees. I'm driving to school. I just remember I'd have blankets on, my, my army hat on, man, my gloves on. Just, it's cold in here, you know. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I want to encourage you. Sometimes... My name's Terry, and I'm very honest and transparent. And sometimes we really, I think in America, we really just need to quit playing church games. We really do. And let me just put it this way. If, you know, there's two things that show you're devoted to Christ. Two. How you spend your time and how you spend your money. And if neither one of those things are invested in the kingdom of God you should seriously consider how serious you are about serving Jesus. It's quiet in here. Start talking. But let me go on. The, um, the third thing was that as we started having children, we made the Bible a priority in our home. Reading every night um, with our kids, Bible stories when they were little, and then even as they got older, just reading the Word to them. Um, and then just having those conversations about God's Word with them um, and just in relating it to um, what was going on in society. So we tried to saturate them with God's word so that it would be instilled in their hearts. So those are kind of the, some of the yeah. things we did. And, and we weren't perfect in it, but no. we tried. We were serious. We tried to buy it. Hey, one more thing about the foundation. Um, I'm not a builder, but when we started building these buildings and I see houses built, I learned some things about foundation. Uh, whatever, however big of a structure you want to build, you have to build a foundation that can support the weight. When they build a house, you know what they do? They, they build a little pad, you know, this thick. They put some rebar in it. It's a little pad when you build a home. You, if, when, I, when they built this building, of course, this is 21,000 square feet. It's got a bunch of weight. It's two-story. What they do is they, they do soil tests. And they, underneath this slab, there's big, huge piers that go down 12 to 15 feet in the ground. 
what they do is they have a machine and they dig down to what, what they call absolute refusal. Absolute refusal means you can't go anymore. The soul is so, and they, so they, they pour these piers. And so the piers are what holds the weight. Then they put a little slab on top of it. The slab does not hold the weight, it's the piers. And listen, life, the devil, people are going to throw everything at you. And if you want your relationship, your marriage to survive, the peers in your life are digging into the word of God, having your foundation deep into God's word. The next thing is this. Uh, we decided to have a relationship built on mutual submission. Genesis 2.24, it says, and the two are united as one. It doesn't, it doesn't say the two become one and one dominates. It says the two shall become one. So Tracy and I have always... Um, you know, I'm not the boss of her, and she's not the boss of me. Well, sometimes she is. <laughs> Let's be honest, okay? But God is the boss of us. He's the boss. He's the one that tells us. In Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, it says to submit. I want you to notice this, that this, you know, men, men that don't know anything about the Bible, if they're having a problem with their marriage, they'll come talk to the pastor, and they say, I know somewhere in there it says that she needs to submit. I say, well, if you can't tell me where it is, how do you know it's there? Someone told me, and he knew the Bible. Okay, okay. But look how it starts. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. What does submit mean? We need to honor each other. We need to care for each other. We need to be concerned about each other. I need to put her above my needs, and she needs to do the same. That's how marriage is supposed to work. Then it does go on to say, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as, as you do to the Lord. So you submit to Christ, you submit to your husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Okay, so it tells, why, it tells you both to submit once. It tells the wives to submit or to honor, to reverence their husbands twice. Then it tells the husband three times to love your wife and to lay your life down for her. It did get quiet, huh? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And then it goes on to finish with this. It says, however, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife and the wife must respect her, her husband. So, you know, I, I was thinking about this. I had, a, I, had a, I had a couple come to my office one day, and I'm trying to be nice with what I say. But this guy had verbally and physically abused his wife. And he sits there and tells me she needs to submit. I wanted, no, never mind, I'm going to be honest. I want to slap him, you know? It's like, in the name of Jesus, can I slap some sense into you? That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. God did not make either one in the marriage to be a doormat. You know, he is supposed to, I said, Christ told you to love her, you know, and to lay down your life for her. You're not doing that. Does she need to reverence you and honor you? She does, but she's having a hard time because of how ugly and ungodly you're being. 
So anyway, that's, uh, but that, that's it. We're supposed to work together. We're in a partnership together. Um, this was something that was really important for me when we got married. And it all goes back to, you know, family backgrounds and the home you were raised in. But to give you a little bit of my background, my parents um, met in the early 70s. They were saved in the, the Jesus movement at the time. Um, and so my dad married my mom, and he adopted my brother and I. Um, but they both came from pretty dysfunctional families. And so they didn't know how to, to be married and have a godly relationship. And then, of course, how to raise children. Um, so they just had to go had to go off of what they had heard or had experienced. But my dad, I would say he was very um, domineering, um, a very selfish person. And so what I saw growing up was him um, mistreating my mom. And so, um, yes. <laughs> but I think that, you know, in talking to my mom about that later, they divorced after, my dad divorced my mom after 25 years. Um, and we've had some conversations, and I actually talked to her last night because I didn't want to say anything that would embarrass her because she listens to the sermons. And, um, but one of the things we talked about was that she had been taught at the time that you need to submit to your husband. And um, she had grown up in a family that was very, there was lots of fighting and arguing and yelling, and so she didn't want that for us. And so she just tried to keep the peace. She stayed quiet and tried to keep the peace, but she didn't have a voice. And so having a voice was really important um, to me. So Terry and I decided that our marriage would be more like an equal partnership, that we each had a voice, that we could both offer suggestions um, to make decisions, but that we never make a big decision until we're in agreement. So. Yeah. You know, and, and so anyway, just, just think about this. I just, I'm trying to, I think sometimes we don't understand what the scripture is trying to communicate. And obviously, when it says that we submit to each other, the man is submitted to Christ, the woman comes under, under the husband. And it, when it says all that, basically, it's saying that your relationship should be a partnership. You should, you should work together. And I, I, I told one man, hey, don't go home and tell anyone that your pastor slapped somebody, okay? I didn't slap anyone. I just thought about it, okay? It's not a sin. I took it under control, you know? But let me ask you something. Does it bother you when you see innocent people getting hurt? Man, that bothers me. When I see children and women and, and men who are supposed to protect them, that, that man, that, that fires me up. It, it, really, it really bothers me. And uh, I even had a, a person come up one time and said, you know, he's arguing with me about the whole submission thing, you know, the guy. And I'm like, look, we're going to leave it right here. I'm not going to argue with you. You're divorced and I'm still married. Think about that. You've been through two marriages. Maybe it's because you can't submit to your wife and love for her. And okay, we beat that one down. We're going to move on now. So the third thing is that Terry and I decided to forgive and forget. In Colossians 3, verse 13, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And as we have met with so many couples through the years, one of the biggest obstacles we have noticed is that they have such a hard time. They seem to have such a hard time forgiving one another um, for past mistakes and hurts. They're not able to move forward because they get stuck in that rut of anger, of resentment, of unforgiveness. And it's like they're stuck in a time capsule. They live in that past hurt, that past thing that they can't seem to forget, forgive, um, to forgive and forget, but they can't forgive it. It comes back in that next argument, in that next disagreement, that they're pulling that along with them and it becomes just the center in that. Um, but the only way to get a fresh start is to forgive. And I just want to say, if you're having a hard time forgiving, then there's pride involved in that. Oh, she just nailed you. That's Me tough. too. <laughs> but for, for all of us, you know, so I, we were thinking about this because uh, we're about to hit 30 years. I've rounded up. I tell people we're married 30 years. We're on our 30th year. But our second year of marriage was the absolute worst. It was the absolute worst. We were arguing. We were fighting over everything. And... Um, and, you know, we were holding on to she did something. I would bother me for three days, you know, and the same back and forth. And I look, we look on it now, and really, honestly, it was a lot of petty stuff. And really, it was because of our immaturity. We got married at 20 years old, so at 21, 22 years old, we're just having a bad time. And, you know, so our third year of marriage got a lot better because we were too we were too physically tired and emotionally drained to argue <laughs> come on sometimes that's good too we hadn't really solved the problem but man we're t I'm, I'm tired let's go to bed yeah I'm tired you know I can't do this anymore and but but as time went by we realized hey we just got to forgive each other and hey we learned something at the conference yesterday if you missed it I'll give it to you for free uh, they, they said okay the problem when you need to forgive is who goes first and Jimmy Evans said this, the strongest person goes first. In every relationship, not the strongest, let me rephrase that. In every relationship, like she, I'm a type A and she's, she's more of a, of a melancholy. So I, I'm like the aggressive one in the relationship is what I would say. So that means that I need to die first. I need to go first. And, and I didn't, but anyway, so think about that. And so that can be the woman or the man, depending on how your relationship is. But so, you know, as we started growing up and, and finally I just started saying, like, I knew I did something. Man, I did something. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to go home. This is not going to be good. I know what I did. You ever been there before? I know what I did and I know what's coming. So I, I, I thought I'm going to outsmart this. So I started walking in and saying, hey, Trace, I am very sorry that I did that. I was wrong. My attitude was wrong. And like, I'm just firing off. I, I'm just, you know. The problem is that he didn't give me a chance to tell him he was wrong. So she, she, she I had start, all those things stored up that I was going to let him have it. And so she started doing that. And I said, well, I, I just apologized. So, okay, I'll let you get it on out. But um, so anyway, <clears throat> she's been thinking about that all day. And <clears throat> the fourth thing is this. We decided to pursue our dreams together. Um, one of the biggest problems in marriage is that we're so busy with survival that we forget to dream. And here's what I want to say. Every couple that gets married, they have a dream. They have a dream. And what happens is as you start going through life, 
I mean, life's just hitting you from the right and hitting you from the left and just knocking you around. And, and we go from having dreams to survival. And here's the deal, what I want to tell you. Dreams give life to your relationship. It doesn't matter if it takes you 10 years to get there, 15 years to get you. When you dream together and you're praying and you're asking God, it infuses your relationship with life. If it's just about, okay, we got to get the kids to ball practice. we got to go home. we got to start up tomorrow. It's draining. Dreams give life to your relationship. So um, our first dream was our marriage. And we wanted to create a marriage that honored God that valued each other, and then was an example to others. So we poured time into our relationship. We read books. We went to conferences. Um, we, you know, spent time with other couples. And those are things that we still do today, even almost 30 years in, because that's important to keep our marriage strong. Yeah. Um, so remember this. If you have a family, there's nothing more important than the marriage relationship. Your kids are not the most important. If your marriage relationship is not good, your kids will not be healthy. They can see it. They can tell it. And Tra Tracy and I, we know we, we meet with people. And, of course, we have conferences and all this all the time. So, actually, our counseling sessions have gone down. But sometimes we have couples in there. And, and like, I'm shocked. Like, I'm shocked. They've been married for, like, 20, 25 years. They don't know anything about marriage. Like, anything. Like, they don't know what their couple's personality type is. And I'm like, they've never read a book. They've never gone to premarital counseling. They've never gone to a conference. And it's like, man, I, I tell people, you do things like we did this weekend, you'll never have to go to therapy because you're getting it for free, right, together in a good environment. Okay, and then our second dream was to have a family. And God has blessed us with three awesome children, <clears throat> um, well, adults, but children to us. And so when our kids arrived, we poured time into them by creating a healthy family environment the best we could. Um, and just the environment of the home was so important to me um, that, you know, there would be love and honor and just all the things, the fruit of the Spirit would be evident. Um, we didn't have money for fancy vacations or to give the kids a lot of, you know, possessions, material possessions, but we wanted our house to be fun. And in Terry's book, um, he wrote a chapter on peanut butter and jelly, which kind of seems like a funny title. Um, but it's so important because it's talking about taking those everyday moments in our lives, those peanut butter and jelly moments, and to make those um, into great experiences. Yeah, you know, it's, I'll let you in a little background. So how did I come up? I came up with this concept of years ago about peanut butter, the peanut butter jelly moments in life, how making the ordinary things of life special. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how I, how I got that concept in my mind, and only half of you are going to know it. Okay, there was an old show when I was in high school. It's called, it's called, it's called Welcome Back, Cotter. You remember that? I never watched one episode of that show. But I walked in one time. And one of the guys in that show, had, he wrote a song. And he started singing a song. And the song was called Peanut Butter and Jelly. Peanut butter and jelly, that's all I put in my belly. I mean, that's how, and that never got out of my mind. I'm like, I have to make that famous. So the chapter on peanut butter and jelly is from Welcome Back, Cotter. So there you go. Our third dream was this, 
to do, we wanted to do something special to bless other people and to build the kingdom of God. So family life was created. It came into existence. It has always been a family adventure. Tracy and my kids have sacrificed as much or more than me to help this uh, church get going. Uh, Tracy still helps all the time. All of our kids do something here around this church, and we don't make them do it. They've just always been uh, a part of them, and this is a part of of our family's legacy and family life's a part of many of your legacies because you've been here uh, pouring it into it. So here's the point. Your dream doesn't have to be our dream, but you do need a dream. You do need a dream and your dream should include things that benefit other people and it should include things that benefit God. Uh, One thing, this is not on your screen. I'm gonna talk for about three more minutes and I think it's gonna be very, very important. Yesterday afternoon, uh, Jimmy Evans, his last lesson was spectacular. It was spectacular. And he talked about romance. And here's the thing. Write this down on your notes. You need to have romance in your marriage. But here's the problem. Most people don't know what romance is. Uh, so think, think about this. Uh, Jimmy Evans, he has the largest marriage ministry in the world. And he said people would always come to him in marriage counseling and, and they would say, there's no romance in our marriage. And he's like, well, what is that? So he, what, how do you define romance? So he went in the dictionary to romance and it said, see romantic. And he went to romantic and it said, see romance. He's like, I'm lost. I don't know what to do, you know. So this is what he came up with. There's two kinds of romance. There's instinctive romance. That's when you just start seeing somebody and you're just in love and there's chemistry and everything you do is perfect. You smell perfect. You look perfect, you know. And and we don't know how we got it, and we don't know how we lose it. It's just instinctive. But then there's another kind of romance that you have to have for a marriage to succeed, and it's called educated romance. Educated romance. And educated romance, this is what it means. It, it, means, it means that romance is expressing love in your spouse's love language. So what's romantic to Tracy right now, she doesn't care. Well, yeah, she might. Um, I don't have, here's the deal. I don't have to buy her flowers on Valentine's Day. I don't have to buy her chocolate on Valentine's Day because I can do stuff every day of the week that makes her feel special. And so here's what he said. So your spouse, you have to know him or her what their love language is. And then you have to do things in that area. And, uh, and so you, you can talk more about that for, the, for, for this. For example, you know, ladies, one of their number one needs is security. Open and honest communication. And they want the husband to lead. Okay? Um, but So think about this, security. I want, guys, think about this. If your, husband, if your wife is insecure because you're having health problems, you're not taking care of yourself, romance means I'm going to take care of my body. That's romantic because you'll live another 15 years longer. Are you, um, for men, their number one thing is they want to be respected. And so when Tracy shows me respect and builds me up, I don't need her to do something else special on Valentine's Day. It's every day. Uh, I'm going to close with this, then we're going to pray. You know, Tracy, one of her, her, her love languages, there's a book on love language, 
one of her main love languages, gift giving. And it's just not mine. Like, I don't care if she gets me a gift or not. What do you want for your birthday? I don't, I don't care. You know, what do you want for, I don't care. And, but for her, she cares. And I would always ask her what she wanted. For years and years, I would ask her. So one day I read this book, in love language, love language, gift giving. So some of you heard me tell a story. The best gift, I, the best thing I've ever done, the most romantic thing I've ever done in our relationship, and I haven't been able to top it, but maybe one day God will inspire me, then I can do this. So we were in Lafayette. We didn't hardly have any money. I was a youth pastor. Her mom came to visit. They went to the store, and she saw a dress she liked, but she didn't want to spend the money on it. So she came home, and I heard her, her and her mom talking about it. So the next day, I took her mom to the store and got the dress. Because if I just went and bought her clothes, I'd buy the wrong sizes and all that kind of stuff, you know. And so what happened? I went out of my way to do something special for her. That's what romance is. If they have to tell you what's romantic, it's no longer romantic. You got to find out what your spouse needs. And then you got to pour it on. Come on, guys. You know how to pour it on. We pour it on in hobbies. You got to pour it on in the relationship. Let's stand together. Oh, thank you so much for being here. We just want to, we want to close in prayer today. I hope, were you blessed today? I hope you were blessed today. But I, I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this, that these things work. And they work for every marriage. Every marriage. Put God first. Learn to forgive each other. Treat each other. Submit to each other. Treat, honor each other. I just want to pray I want to pray for all the marriage couples here today and next week we'll get back on general relationships today with just marriage and relationships and maybe you're not married but maybe you're just in a relationship and God I pray today for your blessing on our relationships on every relationship but God I pray a special blessing today on all of our married couples in Jesus name God fill them with love God fill them with determination fill them with forgiveness fill them with caring, compassionate, concern for each other. In Jesus' name, God, I pray that you're building marriages in this house that are built for the long haul. They're built for the distance. They're not built just to put up as a shiny object. God, they're built to handle the roads of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll be out there in the foyer. Would love to talk to any of our visitors here this morning. Thank you so much for coming and joining us this morning and be blessed.